Jesus, I really believe, showed us how to awaken in God, how to move into this unity, this unitive consciousness with God. I believe that's what Jesus showed us how to do in his human life. And I guess that's what I, in my small way, was trying to do in the book, too. This is the God in All Things podcast, rooted in Ignatian spirituality and seeking the presence of God in the everyday. Once upon a time, an old willow tree and a little girl became friends. Grandmother Willow was over 100 years old and quite happy growing next to the lake in little girl's yard. Little girl came off. Mary Ellen Weber is a spiritual director from Seattle and author of the children's book, Finding God in All I See, Finding God in You and Me. She has an MA in Transforming Spirituality from Seattle School of Theology and Ministry and seeks to accompany people in their inner work of transformation through spiritual growth groups, labyrinth and soul collage workshops, retreats, and individual spiritual direction. Her role as a grandmother has influenced her book, which tells the story of little girl encountering wise grandmother Willow, who teaches her that she can find God everywhere. I was delighted to discover this book and immediately read it to my two children. Mary Ellen Weber, thank you for joining me and being with me today. Well, thank you for inviting me, Andy. I really enjoyed this book, and I'm grateful that you reached out to me. It seems to me quite rooted in Ignatian spirituality, or at least in the Ignatian worldview. I wonder, as a, as a way to begin, in your message to grown-ups at the beginning of, of the book, you said, children are natural-born mystics and contemplatives filled with wonder, curiosity, and imagination. And I wonder if you could just tell me where you've seen that and how you've seen that manifest in the children you know, and certainly in your, in your own granddaughter, which you, um, I know, have written this book for. Right, right. So the character in the book, Little Girl, is modeled after my granddaughter, Tegan, who, when I wrote the book, was seven. She's now nine. When the COVID hit back in March of 2020, her school was shut down. So Tegan lives in uh, California and I live in Seattle. She goes to a Catholic school in San Mateo. And I thought I could help her parents out by helping with her homework over Zoom. And they, of course, given my education and experience, wanted me to help her with their religion homework. So we started doing that. And it soon became apparent to me that there was so much more I wanted Tegan to know about God. And I felt like she already did. Whenever she would come to visit me, we'd spend time in my yard where Grandmother Willow is growing next to a lake. It's a real tree. And I have a labyrinth in my yard. And Tegan was so connected with the natural world. We'd be looking for fairies and we'd be listening to the birds and we'd gather flowers and pine cones and everything. And we'd make these little offerings in the center of the labyrinth. And she was telling, showing me really, like all children, that she was already connected. She already knew God in a way that I think many adults Mm -hmm. adults have forgotten. And it was just this sense of nature all around her. And all I had to do is connect that to, to divine presence for her. And she was already there. And so that's what I meant when I wrote that, that children are born mystics and contemplatives. They already use their imagination and they're so in the moment. And then somehow 
I think we often teach them this story, this God image of God, the father heaven, which is one image of God. And yet it, it introduces them to this idea of separateness, that God is outside of them and external to them. And so I wanted to get back and really reinforce what I knew Tegan already felt. And so that's where this story came out between grandmother Willow and little girl, who is really Tegan, Mm -hmm. learning to find God in the other surroundings and then in her brother and in herself. And you start the book with her sitting at the foot of the of the tree, just in this place of loneliness and sadness and so on. And she has this contemplative moment, sort of almost without realizing, oh, these feelings have changed. You know, there's something different here. Why do I feel better? Where did my sad and lonely feelings go? Grandmother Willow replied, when you sit quietly, Your feelings have room to move and breathe, and they stop holding on to you so tightly. And in that space around your feelings, you begin to sense something. You also say in in your message to grownups that in many ways, the story we teach our children about God is too small. When did God expand for you personally? Mm, Wow. Probably... When I did my graduate work at Seattle University, Jesuit University, I did a master's degree in transforming spirituality. And I went in with big theological questions I was wrestling with in my head. Mm -hmm. And like any good theological education, I probably came out with more questions. Mm -hmm. So that just blew up. In my in my studies, I think that that just really opened me to understanding God images, many God images, and trusting the ones that I sensed. I think I already sensed that God was much bigger than some of the images I was taught maybe as a child. And just having the freedom to name those as, as God experiences. And what sort of image of God did you grow up with? There's probably two answers to that question. On one hand, I was really drawn to the experience of divine presence. I used to climb into the hull of our family boat, and it was such a cozy space. I'd fall asleep. I'd, I'd In our backyard, we had lilac bushes, and I'd crawl into um, the hole between the lilac bushes. And it was just this sense of going inward to these cozy spaces. And I didn't name it as God experiences. But looking back, I, I see that I was drawn into that, that contemplative space early on. And there was another part of it that I had a real stream of religiosity and, and piety. Um, I remember thinking I had to kneel down every single night by my bed, no matter how tired I was, and say my prayers. I just had to do it. And my mother once saying to me, Mary Ellen, God will not care if you night, just go to bed. <laughs> so there was a little sense of religiosity that I had to do something, a little maybe an understanding of a transactional God that I needed to do certain things in order to have this relationship with God. So there was both and, mm. but but definitely I didn't have the the language or the freedom or the interiority to name the contemplative times as God experiences until later in life. Said Grandmother Willow, 
the hummingbird reminds you to find God in all the little things that delight and fascinate you. What's a what's a little thing that delights you? Uh, tiny bunnies. <laughs> you like and bunnies. kittens. And kittens. Well, I think that's the case with children, isn't it? That they have an ex- they have this experience, this contemplative experience encounter with God, but they can't name right. it. And that certainly comes out in the book with little girl seeing, really with the guidance of Grandma Willow, seeing mm-hmm. the caterpillar and the hummingbird and the, the lake and so on, uh, these places of beauty as as the presence of God. And she only right. discovers that because she's, doesn't she say, I thought God was in heaven, right? Yes. Yeah. And she's realizing, no, God is very imminent. And I love grandmother's response at that point was that many people think God is in heaven because they have a hard time finding God right where they are. Yeah. And, yeah. Yeah. And my whole podcast and vlog is God and finding God in all things, right? This primary Ignatian principle, which for, for many people can be challenging. It can be new, perhaps, because you do sort of have to shift your image of God. What is your uh, experience of Ignatian spirituality and how much has, did that influence the book? This book, I, I see it as coming out of the creation spirituality tradition. And then when you mentioned to me about how Ignatian it was, it just opened my eyes. I said, oh, my gosh, it is so Ignatian. Mm-hmm. I mean, the engaging the imagination and the, the finding God, you know, in, in everything connecting the head and the heart and nature as God's first revelation. So, yeah, it is so Ignatian. It, it really is. I think I'm just so steeped in Ignatian spirituality that I don't necessarily name it as, as such. Yeah. Well, and right. the creation spirituality, I, I love, if, if you don't mind, the end, you end with Grandmother Willow looked at all that was around her and saw that it was good. It was very good. Uh, it, was just, it was my little wink to Genesis. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I appreciated the part where right after looking at nature, little girl sees her little brother mm. and she, you know, I think grandma, grandmother Willis says, you sometimes might have to look a little closer to find yes. God and your little brother. <laughs> Suddenly the deer bolted away as the little girl's brother ran out to play. Grandmother Willow chuckled. Do you know where else you'll find God? Where? Asked little girl. In your little brother. God can always be found in other people, even if you must look closely sometimes to see. Eva, do you see God in your little brother? Mm, I only see Oscar in Oscar. <laughs> <laughs> you might have to look a little closer. Okay. I still can't see God. I only see his shirt now. Oscar, give Eva a big smile. Give her a big smile. Do you see God in that smile? Let me see. No. I only see his stinky tongue. It seemed to me that Grandmother Willow was a sort of spiritual director to Little Mm. Girl. Mm-hmm. In that, in a gentle way, Grandmother Willow op- sort of opened little girl's eyes to the presence of the divine. Right. And I wonder, right. I, I know you're a spiritual director. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure if that was your intent or not, but how do you describe spiritual direction? I love that you made the connection 
between Grandmother Willow and a spiritual director, because I hadn't. But yes, of course she is. And and what she's doing, first of all, is providing a safe Mm. space for little girl when she comes to her and little girl's dealing with some sadness and some lonely feelings. And so Grandmother Willow, physically with her branches flowing around, creates a safe space. And that's what spiritual direction is. It really is creating a safe uh, space for the person coming to reflect and to share their emotions. And Grandmother Willow waits for, for little girl to begin, so to speak, you know, and that's a, a good spiritual director will usually just wait and allow allow the um, person coming to see them, you know, to speak. And then she asks questions mm. of a little girl. They're engaging through questions and bringing in experiences. And Grandmother Willow is noticing and pointing out, which mm. spiritual direction does too. They're looking um, together. Yes, looking yeah. together. Right. Yeah. And I like to think of spiritual direction as more spiritual companioning. Mm-hmm. And in this story, I think Grandmother Willow is doing just that. She's companioning little girl on this awakening that's happening. Yeah. Yes, you said it. She, the story begins really in that silence of little girl sitting at the base of the tree and Grandmother Willow not, not saying anything. I think you know, silence is so a part of our tradition. I'd really just, it, most wisdom traditions, silence holds an important place. Uh, what's your relationship with, with silence? How have you encountered the wisdom mm. of silence? I love silence. <laughs> um, I start every morning. I have a chair by the window and that's my time. If I happen to be, traveling, I will set my alarm early just so I have that time to sit in silence. So that's a big part of my day. It's just my husband and I at home. And so the last couple of years with him being around a lot more, <laughs> it's it's infringed a little bit on my silence, but um, in, a, in a good way. So I do have, I work from home and I see people in my home for spiritual direction. And um, most of the time I'm in silence in my home. I go out and walk often. And that is my time to sift out of my head. And I don't play music or listen to podcasts, or I sometimes even hesitate to go with a friend because that is my silent time Mm -hmm. and quiet time in nature where I sift through insights, images, whatever's coming to me. And I also have a labyrinth in my yard and Mm -hmm. labyrinth walking is one of my spiritual practices that's near and dear to my heart. And that is about being silent, you know, giving your body something to do, but you're, because you're walking and such, but allowing that, that silence and that quiet to, again, sift from, I'm very much a seeker in my head and do a lot of spiritual reading and such, but I know that the silence is my chance to let it, um, I I just think of like sand coming down and sift through Mm -hmm. into a deeper, Mm -hmm. deeper heart space. It seems to me that you're trying to convey these things to children through the book. I, I think I told you that that I found there was a very there was a gentleness to the to the story. Do you feel that you're you're speaking more to the children or the parents? <laughs> Great question. And the answer to that is that I realized after the book 
came out, which was in November, 2021. Mm -hmm. Um, And I started talking to people about the book. I realized I wrote the book for adults, really, in a children's version. And the reason I did that is because the message I wanted to get out there, the fact that I don't believe we can be separated from God, we cannot be separated from divine presence, but we can be asleep to it. And that message I mean, I just said it in, you know, a nutshell right there. It's a simple, it's not a, it's a profound message in a simple form. And that's why it was best written in a children's book. Hmm. And yet um, the reason I included the message to grownups in the front too, is because I, there is a message to grownups in there. And I know that the book will be shared with children. And that's, that's, I mean, that is the ultimate motive, but I did write it, I think for adults also it's the way jesus taught right through through stories and parables um, yes that could be interpreted Mm -hmm. different ways for different audiences right yeah it yeah yeah and you know it it struck me also when as grandmother willow is saying look at the, the lake and the sun and the and the hummingbird and so on that that was also jesus's approach to teaching, right? Look at look at the the birds and the vineyard, the seed, the flowers. You know, um, do you does yeah. this does your story? Um, yeah, I wonder how this story connects with scripture at all. You mentioned Genesis. Are there other mm-hmm. parts of scripture that you feel this kind of touches? Mm, um, I think it's more rather than any specific scripture verses it's more like you just mentioned my understanding of jesus and what what his purpose was to show us jesus i really believe showed us how to awaken in god how to move into this unity this unitive consciousness with god i believe that's what jesus showed us how to do in his human life Mm. and i guess that's what i in my small way was trying to do in the book too where do you most find god is it in the natural world Mm, yes. Yeah, definitely. Living in the Pacific Northwest, I love being in the, the tall trees and we have water, you know, all around us and the mountains and yes, even in the rain. <laughs> and what prompted you to study theology? That's probably a, could be a podcast in and, in and of itself. <laughs> mm-hmm. But uh, the short answer is it was definitely a second half of life experience for me. I, my kids were, my three sons were in high school at the time and I decided to go back to school. And what prompted that were probably two different things. One was, I just, like I said, I've been a seeker all my life. I had just finished a scripture and leadership training three-year certificate program through Seattle U. And I was involved in our parish and I was starting to teach classes and lead groups. And I, that just hooked me. And I love that. And I thought I need to go in, go deeper in this and get more training in this because this is the direction I want to go. And on the other hand, I was still wrestling with some really big theological questions. And I thought, okay, this, this, I'm going to go get these answers here if I go back to school. And actually then there was a third part to that too, which was, I was hoping there were things in in the Catholic church that I was struggling with. And I had hoped to start changing the church from the inside Mm. and realized that I needed, really, honestly, I needed some credentials Mm. 
to be able to have that effect. And that ended up kind of going by the wayside. I, I realized that that was not where I wanted to spend my my energy. But the but the questions I think really really sent me to to seek more, hmm. more education. And as you said, when you go to when you study theology, you come out with more questions. Um, yeah, <laughs> but isn't that spirituality? That's okay. That's okay. Yes. Yeah. 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 And that's the that's the I think the contemplative life, having a contemplative stance, is is living with the questions. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I noticed that you use gender neutral language for God throughout the book. Was that mm-hmm. intentional? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. You know, I understand for children that we often, they're maybe a little more concrete in that the idea of God as a loving parent or a father, maybe a developmental thing for children. And yet, I think it sticks with a lot of adults, and it can be problematic. And so everything I do is about removing this anthropomorphic understanding of God, that God is some superhuman being. So everything I teach or write or share, I'm trying to expand beyond that understanding. And I think the language we use, it's hard to to talk about divine presence and and then you start using the word he. There's just a disconnect there. So language is a big part of that understanding of God as being beyond a human, superhuman being. Hmm. Did you ever plan on writing a children's book? Was that sort of a long, uh, ever lifetime plan or? No, never, ever planned on writing a book. Like I said, I kind of told you the story behind. And then once I wrote that book, which was just the summer of 2020, I thought, what do I do with it now? You know, I wrote the story. And so um, I contacted a friend who had recently published a book and she connected me with another person who's been my book doula, we call her. Mm -hmm. And I found my illustrator off of a little greeting card that a friend had given me that had a beautiful picture of a fawn, a baby deer on it. And I turned the card over and saw Kari Vick as the illustrator and I reached out to her and turns out she lives in Minnesota where I grew up. And, and I told her the premise of the book and she said, I love it. I want to be part of this. And then she told me, well, a publisher that I've worked with is Beaver's Pond Press and they too are in Minnesota. So I contacted them. They're out of St. Paul, Minnesota, told them the premise of the book and they said, we're on board. So they were the publisher and so I've had this wonderful team around me and, and it's been a steep learning curve, <laughs> just the whole publishing industry and, the, and now the marketing piece. And what's joyful about the, mar- there's a hard part about the marketing and it's just because it's pretty much me mm-hmm. and getting it out there takes a, you know, daily effort. And yet it's happening so organically. And all these little doors and windows are opening, and I am just trying to pay attention and walk through those openings. Mm-hmm. And the book is making its way out into the world. And for me, it was never, ever about selling 
You mentioned Carrie Vick, the illustrator, and the deer. And it's funny on the um, the last page, or right before the the end, where you make that nod to Genesis. There's a little deer in the distance, very mm-hmm. tiny in the distance, and mm-hmm. my children notice that. They and did. they were oh, they were focusing on the little tiny tiny deer. <laughs> How did they draw? That's the deer. The deer. How did they draw that? So tiny. Can yeah. you draw tiny? You've drawn tiny things before. Oh, little. Yes, I had to have that in in there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, and I don't. Um, well, you have you have the the large deer where she she looks at the deer, but this is at the very end. So. Uh, and you know, my, my son's name is Oscar and Oscar, uh, one of the meanings of Oscar is dear friend, friend of the deer. So deer has, is a sort of a special symbol for me. Right. um, Right. And my son. Yeah. Could I share one story? Somebody once asked me what my favorite pages in the book Mm-hmm. And it is the, the page near the end where Grandmother Willow knows that little girl's ready to run and play with her brother. And so Grandmother Willow whispers, and do you know what I see? And little girl says, what? And Grandmother Willow says, I see God in you. And little, little girl says, even in me? And Grandmother Willow exclaims, especially in you. And the reason I wanted to point that out is that is a story that actually happened um, between me and a little boy once. Mm. And the story goes, I was walking a labyrinth at a church near my home, an outdoor labyrinth, not my labyrinth, but another labyrinth. And this labyrinth is uh, next door to a preschool. And often the children would come out to play. And one day I was walking the labyrinth by myself and I had my eyes sort of almost closed and was walking slowly and I could hear the children come out to play. And then suddenly there was a little voice by the fence that surrounded the the children's playground. And he said, are your eyes closed? And I paused and I said, well, kind of. And he said, how come? I said, well, because I'm praying. And he said, God's not in there. Hmm. stopped and I looked at him and I said, oh, yes, God is everywhere. And he said, even in me? And I said, especially in you. And that is exactly how that happened. I, I walked off the labyrinth at that point, went to my car, grabbed my journal and wrote it down word for word because I never wanted to wow. forget that story. Wow. And so that's what why I had to put that in the book. That's a beautiful story. Yeah, that comes yeah. out of out of this wonder that the little boy mm-hmm. had when you say right. that. Mm. Right. Even mm. in me, I love yeah. that. Yeah. How did Tegan respond to the book? Tegan is just tickled about it. She really is. She, I went down and I gave it to her and her little brother. Her the little boy in there is is really her brother Declan. And I gave her them each their own signed copy. And then I have two other grandchildren who live here in Seattle near me. And uh, they're two five-year, a five-year-old and a two-year-old little girls. And I gave them each their own signed copy too. And, and, uh, but yeah, she was pretty tickled about it. And she gave me a gift of a journal when I gave her the book. She went out with her daddy to find a gift to thank me for writing the Aww. book. 
she That's... gave me a beautiful little journal. Yes. How thoughtful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. She is a very thoughtful huh. little girl. Well, speaking as a parent, I am always grateful when I come across books like this that have the depth, have depth and heart and that convey something of, of the value of the contemplative life. Mm-hmm. They're rare to find, but they exist and, and yours has, has enriched that. So thank you for, for writing it. Thank you. In fact, there's a couple, I think there's a couple more books um, that might be in the wings because there's a couple more themes I would like to share with children. Mm. Um, but I'm grappling with the stories. They're, it's just churning right now. Mm. Um, but I think there, there might be two more. So hopefully stay tuned. <laughs> oh, please continue, continue writing. Did you like the book, Oscar? I like, I like the book. She's going the part where she was, that was at the beginning. The part where she's feeling sad, yeah. sitting next to the tree and feeling lonely. And she just rested. And then she looked up and saw the birds. And then she said, I feel better. How can people stay connected to your work? The website for the book is growingawakebooks.com. And they can contact me through the through the website or directly my Mary Ellen at growingawakebooks.com. Well, thanks again for writing this book and uh, it was just a, a delightful conversation. Yeah, thank you. And it was wonderful to hear how it how you related it with your children, your experience with your children. Yeah, that was very heartwarming for me to hear. What did you think of this book? I love it. What did you like about it? The tree. Yeah. What else? Why did you like the tree so much? Um, and I like little girl. What did you like about the tree? I don't know. Just because you like God, and I like God too. Really? And you? But you don't see God in Oscar. <laughs> <laughs> because I, I can't really see him because I only see his body and shirt. <laughs> <laughs> I have linked to Mary Ellen's book and website at godinallthings.com. Be well, and God bless.